0: Okay, good morning once again, everyone. Welcome to Infusion Church. If we could find our seats this morning, I would appreciate that. Thank you. My friend Royce Jones is going to come up and read the text for us and pray, and then Matt will come up and preach. So come on, Royce.
1: Good morning. I am Royce Jones. Today I'm going to read the scripture from Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearers and readers and doers of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just want to thank you, God, for this day you have given us. Thank you, God, for simply being who you are and all the many blessings you have stored upon us. I ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would just fill this place with your presence, Father God. I ask, God, that you will um, speak through Pastor Matt as he's giving your word to God. I pray, God, that he may decrease and you may increase in him. And I pray, God, that everyone will receive your word. In your darling son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Morning, everyone. We're in the book of Hebrews this morning. And uh, our passage today in chapter 10 uh, is an important one and it is so important in any book of the Bible when approaching a particular passage uh, that we really understand kind of the broader picture, the broader themes of the book and even the context in which uh, the words were penned. And with Hebrews this is especially important uh, because there is so much going on and when you understand what's going on historically, Uh, it it starts to make sense why Paul is saying the things that he says. And so we're going to take just a second and look kind of at the context that is motivating this letter, and it will help us understand the passage we have before us today a little bit better. Paul is writing to a group of of Jewish believers who are enduring intense persecution. Most scholars believe that uh, this is a group of Jewish believers in Rome And based on when this letter was written, it is likely that they are suffering under Nero himself. It's not a popular time to be a Christian. And so Paul knows that this this trial that they're going through, this suffering, has really worn on their faith, and he takes note of that in this letter, that, that their devotion is kind of growing stale. They've grown less attentive and receptive to God's word. They're no longer joyfully and cheerfully enduring hardship as they once had. Some have apparently pulled away from Christian community and and ceased regular attendance at, at gatherings, but the gravest error that he addresses is that many people in this community are actually considering abandoning the new covenant altogether and returning to the old covenant and its sacrificial system. And the reason is simple, and it's, it's quite obvious. Because during this time, Christianity is being persecuted. But you know what's not, at least not systematically? Judaism. And so they're starting to rationalize in their mind, hey, you know what, maybe we can make a little adjustment here and just kind of go back to the old way of doing things and not really identify with this Christ who's being persecuted. And You know, there's still a sacrificial system in place in the Old Testament. Our, our sins will still be forgiven under that system as well, right? And Paul is incredibly concerned about this. And it's with these things in mind that he sits down to write this letter that we have before us today, known as Hebrews. And if the message of Hebrews could be summed up in one word, one word that captures the whole essence of this book, it's perseverance. Paul wants his audience to understand that the Christian life is a marathon, it's not a sprint, And it is vitally important that we continue in the faith and not turn back. Now, I just want to say from the outset, because this often comes up when we start diving into subjects like this, is that this book and and the arguments that Paul makes has nothing to do with losing or keeping your salvation as a Christian. In other words, he never suggests anywhere That by persevering, that we are somehow earning our salvation or maintaining our salvation, or that by turning away, that a genuine believer is actually able to fall away from God and His grace. His point is this, that persevering faith is not a means to attain salvation, it's evidence of our salvation, True saving faith will persevere and go the distance. The true believer will not ultimately throw in the towel, but instead will heed admonishments to endure in God's word. They will stand before God one day with a faith that has stood the test of time. And the individual who fails to heed the biblical admonishment to persevere and walks away from Christ looking for salvation in something else is just showing that they never really possessed saving faith at all or else it would have lasted to the end. This is why 1 John 2.19 says this. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they are not all of us. In other words, if they were true children of God, they would have continued with us. But the fact that they didn't continue was just evidence that they were really never with us to begin with. And so Paul is preaching this message of perseverance because he knows that those who have truly been called unto salvation will receive his words. They will respond in faith to what he's saying. And he has no interest in subtlety as he communicates this message over and over again in the book of Hebrews. We find this call to perseverance stated in both the negative and the positive, meaning put in the form of warnings against turning away and then encouragement for persevering. And I want us to see how prevalent this is throughout the book so that we can kind of feel the weight of it. First, we find it in the form of warnings, mostly in the the earlier chapters. In chapter 2, Paul warns against drifting away from the message of the gospel or neglecting so great a salvation. Hebrews 3.12 says, take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Later in chapter 3, he reminds them not to be like unbelieving Israel, who though they started well, ultimately rejected God in unbelief and died in the wilderness. In chapter 6, we find a passage, a very common passage, where Paul warns against the sin of apostasy, talking about a, a person who has, has uh, received the word and even uh, tasted of the goodness of the word, but ultimately they rejected it. it, never bears the fruit of salvation in their life, and they're never brought again to repentance. And then in the later chapters, we find this same exact admonishment, but in the positive. He says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that hangs so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12:3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you don't grow weary and faint-hearted. Hebrews 13:13, 13, 13, he calls the church to patiently endure and bear the reproach of Christ. And then in our chapter today, chapter 10. At the very end, he summarizes what chapter 10 is really all about and what the book of Hebrews is really all about. He says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so Paul is beating this drum like crazy. He sees this as something very important. And even though some of these verses sound pretty blunt and even kind of harsh, I can tell you right now, he's motivated by nothing other than love for these people. He doesn't want This group of people forsaking the only true source of life and forgiveness and salvation only to put their trust in something that cannot provide life, forgiveness, or salvation. An Old Testament system that was meant to shine a light on the glory of the new covenant. And so he wants to encourage them to persevere. And here's the approach he takes. So he's going to write this letter to encourage them to persevere. And what he does is he spends the first nine chapters just preaching the gospel to them. He spends nine chapters showing that the entire Old Testament sacrificial system was like a a giant finger pointing to Jesus. It was never meant to be permanent. It was a shadow of things to come. It wasn't an end in and of itself. He highlights the the glory of Jesus. Jesus. And that salvation is only found in him. And then midway through chapter 10, right where we start our text today, he transitions from gospel proclamation to gospel application. What are you going to do with what I just said? And he lays before us what I believe can accurately be described as the path of perseverance. The path of perseverance, and he gives them Three exhortations, and they are 100% aimed at making sure their faith is strong and healthy and lasts the test of time. The first point that he makes is this. He says, draw near to God. He says this, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, Scripture tells us that at the moment Christ died on the cross, at that very moment, the veil to the Holy of Holies that separated the presence of God from the presence of man was torn from top to bottom, meaning Christ's perfect sacrifice bought for us, achieved for us, access to the Father, to his presence. Jesus didn't just die so that we could make heaven our home. He died so we could have relationship and communion with God. He died so that we could approach God confidently and boldly as his children. And so what he's telling them is, put this truth into practice. See, it's easy for that to be a theological truth that we, we affirm Jesus was the great high priest who entered in to the Holy of Holies by his own blood and, and gave us access to the Father. And, and Paul's saying, but are you practicing that? Are you living in light of this reality? Are you drawing near to God? So many times in the, in the midst of trial and temptation, our tendency is to pull away from God. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the time to pull away. Press in, draw near, take your struggle, take your mess, take your sin, take your hardship, your pain, and come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to your heavenly father and lay it at his feet. Because it is in his presence that we find the grace and the strength we need to persevere. Listen to how he puts it in Hebrews 4.16. You can't say it any more plain than this. He says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Here we see the words again, draw near. Why? So that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us. We need God's grace and his mercy at work in our life. And his grace is sufficient for whatever it is that we're going through. If we've sinned and we need forgiveness, we find it in him. If we're weary and we need strength, we find it in him. If we're sorrowful and we need comfort, we find it in him. And if we're tired and we need rest, we find it in him. We need the ministry of God himself in our lives, which comes from spending time in his presence. And as we do this, our faith is encouraged and grows strong so that we can run this race with endurance. Access to God is an enormous benefit that has been provided in Christ. So we need to make use of that. As the psalmist said, it is is good to be near to God. And so what does this mean practically? What does it mean to draw near? It means we are making a priority to connect with him using the various means he has given us to do so. We draw near to him in prayer as we approach him as his children, bearing our hearts, confessing our sins, offering up thanksgiving, making our requests known to him. We draw near in worship as we sing from our heart engaging our heart in in the words that are coming out of our mouth, lifting our voice in praise. We draw near to him through his word, where we hear him speaking to us on every page, and where we receive comfort and encouragement from his promises. You know, it's so easy, like I said in our trials, to not make time to draw near to God. We get so busy focusing on the problem and what we're gonna do to fix it or how we're gonna get out and building strategies that sometimes we don't just take time to stop and spend time with our Heavenly Father. So the first stepping stone in this path of perseverance that Paul places is to draw near to God. The second is to hold fast to God's truth. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So here Paul is touching again on this main theme of perseverance. He says, Hold fast to the confession of your hope, to the gospel. Don't waver from it. And let's remember, he's writing to these Jewish Christians who are under intense persecution And they're being tempted to abandon the truth that they once received and and return to this Old Testament sacrificial system, which Paul made clear cannot save. And so he is taking time to remind them to hold fast to the confession of their hope, that which they received and know to be true, emphasizing that forgiveness and salvation, our future inheritance, are all received and secured in Christ. He says, hold fast, don't let go, cling to it. Have a resolve to stay the course. But he makes a very important point. He says, because he who promises is faithful, which means that our holding fast is actually motivated and undergirded by our confidence in God's faithfulness. We believe God is who he says he is, we believe his word to be true, that he's going to do that which he has promised. And so that even in the midst of persecution or suffering or trial, we can hold fast to his word because we're confident we don't do so in vain and that he is faithful. And the more convinced we are of God's faithfulness, the more equipped we will be to hold fast to the hope of the gospel even when we are tempted to turn away. And listen, we do get tested in this area. I have been through trials in my life where I am tempted to disbelieve the truth and put my hope in something other than Jesus to rescue me and to deliver me. And I haven't always been successful in guarding myself in that temptation. My my perspective has been clouded by discouragement and I find myself thinking things like, man, considering what I'm going through right now, God doesn't seem good. His promises don't seem true. Jesus doesn't seem like much of a savior right now. In fact, it appears as though his his word is failing, that he's not faithful. You know, maybe this whole thing is just garbage and I should just cast it aside altogether. Here's a couple things that I've learned is that in moments when subjectively speaking, The truth doesn't feel true because of my circumstances. Sometimes I just have to rely solely on my objective knowledge of the truth in that moment. Meaning I have to hold fast to truth even when I can't make sense of it. Even when it defies what I'm feeling at the moment. Why? Because even though I may not know what God is doing and it doesn't make sense to me, I know that he's faithful and that I can trust him. The other thing I've learned is that I need to preach the gospel to myself regularly. Preach the truth to myself. Remind myself of what God has done in my life. Who he is. In the midst of the struggle, I have to encourage my own heart that God is faithful. He reigns sovereignly over every event and circumstance in my life. I have to remind myself that Jesus is the only true hope for life and forgiveness and and salvation and satisfaction and cling to those truths, knowing that if I look for those things elsewhere, I'm not gonna find it. I have to preach to myself to battle unbelief and keep myself encouraged in the truth in the midst of trial. Persecutions, hardships, trials, temptations, they're all gonna come in our life. So it's important that we fight the good fight, that we hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And the good thing is that Paul is not calling us to just rely on willpower to make this happen. He's not saying, you're on your own, now just buckle down and make sure you don't let go of this. Look where he takes the conversation. He expounds on this point of holding fast and not wavering by saying we're gonna need each other. We're gonna need each other, and he calls us to participate in God's community. The third stepping stone, the path of perseverance is to participate in God's community. Let's look at verse 24. He starts out by saying this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. What Paul is doing here is that he's declaring and showing that that Christian perseverance is not a personal endeavor, it's a community endeavor. That, That God uses relationships to aid us in our endurance and in our perseverance, in our holding fast to the truth and not wavering. And where does it start? He says it starts by considering others. I love how the New King James renders verse 24 because I think it captures the point so well. It says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Those three words, consider one another. Meaning it takes me shifting my focus from inward to outward. Because it is so easy to think, look, it is so easy to think that if I'm going to have a faith that is strong and healthy and built to last the test of time, then I need to go to work on myself. That's what I need to do. I need to, to get into a corner somewhere and figure out what my issues are and sort them out and strengthen my own heart. And I think a lot of this is influenced by our culture. You know, this is kind of the American way. You know, you know we live in a society that really values individual achievement and personal initiative. I mean, most of us feel a sense of pride when we think about something that we've done on our own with nobody else's help. But the author here is challenging that mindset by saying something that kind of seems counterintuitive. He's saying the way we receive the encouragement and the growth we need to persevere is not by focusing on ourselves, but by considering others, by serving others and letting them serve us. God has designed his body to operate this way. That as each body part fulfills its role, nourishing and strengthening one another, guess what happens? We are all growing. Those body parts grow together as a result. Listen to this verse from Ephesians 4.16. It says, he, God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. How do the parts grow? By focusing on themselves? No, he says, as each part does its own special work, meaning it's ministry, the other parts grow as a result, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It's because... We are invested in each other, considering each other, ministering to each other. You know, it it reminds me of a illustration I heard in elementary school. I don't know why I remember this. I probably was in kindergarten or first grade. I went to a Christian school. And for some reason I remember someone getting up there and telling this story, um, this illustration of the difference between heaven and hell, and it's actually pretty interesting. So they they, they paint this picture first of of hell, and they say, you know, in hell there's this table, and it's just a buffet with food all over it. And everybody's sitting around this table, but they're like three feet back. They they can't reach it. But what they do have is six-foot-long chopsticks. And yet they're sitting there wailing and fighting and wasting away. It's a horrible place to be because they can't get the food to their mouths. And then the scene switches to heaven where there's this same table. And there are people sitting around it placed a a few feet back and they got the same six foot long chopsticks, but they're laughing and they're joyful and they're healthy. Why? Because they figured out the key to feed one another. And you know, I know that's kind of a A silly illustration, but I think it kind of shows how God designed, really, community to work. That if everyone is considering others and how to build them up in love and good works and encourage them, then we are all giving and receiving ministry. And as a result, we're encouraged in the faith, which leads to perseverance and steadfastness. And so we are considering others and to do what? That we may stir them up in love and good works. I love that he uses the word stir up here because it, it it gives us the picture of keeping something from becoming stagnant or stale. We're making sure that these things are active and present in our community. We are asking, how can I promote compassion, affection, and an ever-increasing love for God and for man in my brothers and sisters? And then we are looking for practical ways to live out that love through good works, through serving those around us. We are encouraging a love that is expressed through good works. As I said earlier, true saving faith goes the distance and the church plays an important role in seeing that happen as we commit to stirring one another up in love and good works, building one another up in the gospel. We really are our brother's keeper. We really do need each other. You know, I I just experienced this before I came up here uh, to preach. I'm sitting in the back there, and I'm telling Matt, I don't feel well. I had a crazy night last night, and, and so what does he do? He puts his hand on me. He prays for me. He encourages me. He builds me up. I needed that. I'm receiving the ministry of someone else in the body. I need you. I need you to help keep me stirred up in love and good works, to help encourage me all the more as the end draws near, as Paul said. I need the relationships that are in this room. And guess what? So, do you? You need a community of grace where people will walk with you through the heartaches and struggles and messiness of this life. When you are tempted to stray, you need a community of grace that will remind you of the truth and encourage you to persevere till the end. My desire is that this would really challenge the way we think about Christian community. I know it did for me. So I was preparing, God was really hammering home to me how being part of this community of grace is far more important than I realized. It's essential. And so when you consider that, when you consider the crucial role that Christian community has in aiding our perseverance and encouraging our perseverance, it's no wonder that Paul also says this, He says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why is he saying this? Not neglecting to meet together? Because he knows that the church works like an organism, and it is designed to build itself up in love, in good works as we encourage one another to persevere, and he knows that if we're gonna experience that, if we're gonna receive that encouragement and faith, one thing is for sure, almost goes without saying, we have to be present. In other words, we have to remain vitally connected to the body in order to receive the nourishment of the body. And, and I'll be honest with you, this for me can even be a struggle. I've, I've talked about this before from the pulpit, but I tend to be pretty introverted. I like my space, I like to be alone. My tendency is not to run into community, it's to pull away from community. There's been seasons earlier in my life when I, when I did this for extended periods of time, and I wanna tell you something, it never ever yielded anything good for me. Because I had separated myself from the nourishment of the body from a community that was ordained by God to encourage me and minister to me and build me up. Here's what happens when a a body part is missing from the body. First, there's a negative impact on the body part itself because it's, or on the body itself, because it's lacking the function of the missing part. But there's also a negative impact on the body part, and it begins to die and wither because it lacks the nourishment of the body because it has separated itself. And so as Christians, it is fundamental to our health and growth that we're connected first to Christ, who is the head of the body, but also to the body itself, to each other. And a huge part of staying connected is being present. You'll hear us talk a lot around here, not only about Sunday morning service, but you hear us talk a lot about our midweek home groups, called crowded houses or even our smaller gatherings where two or three guys get together or two or three girls get together to build each other up and encourage each other they're called DNA groups and we and we kind of beat this drum a lot and talk about these things a lot tr- constantly trying to get people plugged into a crowded house plugged into a DNA group do you know why we do that is because we know that it is in these environments that this type of ministry takes place it's in these type of environments that we get to know one another and be involved in one another's lives, where we are encouraging one another in Christ and bearing one another's burdens and walking through life together, building each other up along the way. And so one practical thing you can do if you want to be more connected and you're realizing you need to be more connected is get involved in a crowded house, get involved in a DNA group. I just started a, a, a DNA group back up again that hadn't been meeting for a while, and I'll tell you what, what a blessing that was when we were meeting, and when we stopped meeting because someone moved away, I, I I noticed that in my own life. And so let us cultivate a value of being present, whether it be for Sunday mornings or smaller mid meet gatherings, and that we're not just present, but that we are immersing ourselves, participating in Christ-centered community. So in conclusion, let us be committed to a faith that stands the test of time. Let us draw near to God. Trials are not the time to pull away. They are the time to press in. Spend time with him in prayer, and worship, reading the word, knowing that it is his presence that we need in our time of need. Hold fast to God's truth, knowing that he is faithful. Have a belief that reaches deeper than your doubt that clings to the hope of the gospel, that refuses to abandon your confidence in Christ. But if we're going to do that, we're going to hold fast and not waver. We need to participate in God's community. Be present and involved. God has ordained the church to play a vital role in encouraging Christian perseverance. And if you're already part of the infusion community here, I'd encourage you to consider others and how you might stir them up in love and good works and encourage them. Be sensitive to needs, be sensitive to opportunities to share the gospel with others and build them up in the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer at all, you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't even want to be. Maybe right now you're just not there yet. I want to say something to you as well. Keep hanging out with us. We love having you here. We're still going to love you. We're still going to accept you, be there for you. We love having people in our services who don't know the Lord and who may be exploring we love having you around. Maybe you're here and you feel that God is drawing you and you are ready to put your faith in Christ. My message to you is the same as it was in this sermon. Draw near to God. Come to him as you are. Confess your sin honestly to him. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only source of life and peace and salvation. And then hold fast to that confession. Don't let go of it. Commit to go the long haul. And then participate in Christian community where you can give and receive the spiritual nourishment you need to persevere through life's greatest challenges and trials. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that... You are committed to keeping us, Lord. You are committed to seeing us through till the end and that you have given us the relationships that exist in this room to help us stay encouraged, to help us receive the strength we need to endure. We're thankful that you have given us access to you by the blood of Jesus that we can come to you as your children, not in fear of judgment and condemnation, but knowing that we can receive grace and mercy from your throne. God, I pray that you would help us have a shift in our mindset wherever it's needed, that we would not just focus on ourselves and everything that is going on in our own lives, but help us, help us to consider others, Lord, to be sensitive to needs, and how we can encourage them in love, in good works. How we can lift them up when they're down Comfort them when they're sorrowful, God, and be the body to one another. We pray that your grace would be with us this morning in these things, Lord, that we may stand before you one day with a faith that has proven to be genuine and that has stood the test of time. In your name. With your heads.